Welcome to the Expat Empire Podcast, the podcast where you can hear from expats around the world and learn how you can join them. Hi, everyone. Thanks for joining us today on the Expat Empire Podcast. Before we get to the interview, I want to remind you that we're offering a free consulting call to anyone interested in moving abroad. Whether you're thinking about retiring somewhere warm, starting an international career, or becoming a digital nomad, we're ready to help you think through the next steps in your journey. Send us a message at expatempire.com to schedule your call today. With that said, let's start the conversation. Hey, Andrew. Thanks so much for joining us today on the Expat Empire podcast. Thanks, David. I'm happy to be here. Yeah, it's awesome to have you on the show. I know you've been on the list to be a guest for quite some time, and we know each other from way back in the day. We've basically grown up together, so it's awesome to be able to hear your story. Of course, I know good bits and pieces of it, but to be able to hear it from the beginning and to share it with our listeners as well. Well, thank you. Happy to happy to share. Well, if you could tell us a bit about where you're originally from, where around the world you've lived so far, and where you're living right now, that'd be great. Sure. So um, I live currently in Los Angeles, California. Um, born and raised in Los Angeles, and have actually spent most of my life here. Um, I've, I've probably lived in five or six different parts of the city. That I'm happy to to talk about uh, for anyone who's interested in LA. I, I, I know most of the corners of LA, but uh, born and raised here. Uh, went to university here at the University of Southern California, and uh, started my career here as well, working in downtown Los Angeles. Um, in fact, the only place that I've lived outside of Los Angeles really is is Germany in Hamburg Germany where where I've done some some work and and I think is really what we're going to be talking about on this episode. Um I did spend s- some time in San Francisco. I think I had four uh 3-month rotations up there, so I don't know if you throw that together and say one year in San Francisco. Um maybe that counts for something, but uh, outside of Hamburg Germany, I'm I'm primarily Los Angeles. Great. Yeah, we'll definitely get into your German experience as that'll be the main thrust of today's conversation. But I know that you're also an avid traveler. So could you talk a little bit about your travel experiences and maybe how many countries you've been to, what's been some standout experiences for you, if you have any in mind? Absolutely. Absolutely. So I took my first international trip when I was probably 18 years old to Germany, sort of symbolically, um, which, which has become a theme throughout the rest of my life and my career. And that was uh, a trip I took with my brother. I was a kind of clueless recent high school graduate and really didn't have much of an interest in traveling or living abroad. I, I remember when my brother was trying to convince me to come on the German trip with him and I was looking at the German, the like the hotel route when we were looking to book hotels and hostels and stuff. You know how they have the weird bed like mattresses and and what's the word? It's like the comforter. It's like an individual comforter and they roll it up a certain way. And I was like, that looks weird. That doesn't look comfortable. Why do I want to go there? Like I was kind of trying to make every excuse as to why I shouldn't go on a, what turned out to be a three day trip to Germany. (laughs) And the reason why we went was because it was a fluke airfare. I think we flew round trip from LAX to Frankfurt for like $280. Hmm. My standpoint was like, why am I doing this? I don't even know if I'm going to like it. I'm going to be miserable. My brother's was like, oh my gosh, $280 and you can see a new country and you've never been out of the country before except for like Canada maybe. So that was our first trip and I was, you know, colloquially or, or symbolically, I was bit by the travel bug at that point. And, and from then on, my brother and I took a trip at least two to three times a year, probably together went to 25 countries. And then at that point, sort of invigorated on my own, I started doing some solo travel 
uh, myself. I went to South America by myself. I went to uh, the Middle East by myself. Um, in the end, ultimately focused on wanting to live abroad. Um, and when I did live abroad, obviously did quite a bit of travel while I was there. I think in total, I've been to 45 countries um, all over the world, Asia, Africa, obviously uh, Europe, um, Central America, South America. Probably standout travel experiences for me would be, I truly love Germany. And, mm. and again, that'll be, that's ultimately where I ended up living for two years. Um, and and, and I, I was, a lot of people say, well, why not Italy? Why not mm you know, some of these other places that are more typical for Americans to target. And and for me, Germany was just the perfect combination of everything to like about Europe and its cleanliness and efficiency and, and quality, I'll say, um, as well as sort of the American spirit of, of work hard and pay off. Um, and I, I just genuinely liked it there. I liked all the quirks. And um, I that's the country that I had visited most often before moving there. Um, and it's still the place today where I, I, you know, I'd love to go. And, you know, if I was going to pick any country to live in, that would probably, um, that said, there are a lot of great places to visit. Um, probably my favorite place to visit. And I've been there twice now is, is Israel, the Holy mm -hmm. lands. Um, mm -hmm. I just think that there's amazing history there and amazing cultures and, and clashing of, of sort of civilizations and ideals. And it's amazing to just be a part of that and witness it. And, and there's just a lot of fun to be had there too. Um, so I went there uh, two years ago for the second time. Um, but I also like Asia. I think that Asia is, if you're looking for just a complete culture change from the United States or a complete culture change from Southern California, hitting up an Asian city, whether it's Shanghai, Beijing, or even uh, you know, parts of Thailand or Vietnam is just so different. The, the streets and the sounds and the smells and the the food is, is just such a change from culture here in the United States. And I really find that, you know, it, it, it brings value. It makes me appreciate being at home more. Not, not that I like home better necessarily, but you really come to appreciate that, that there are places in this world that are truly unique and, and that your life experience can be different based on where you live. And, and that determines how, how you spend your time, what you eat, things like that. Yeah. Uh, experience to, to travel the world and to experience other cultures. Yeah, definitely. I know that's something that has brought us together over the years. And in fact, that we spent some good months together while you were in Germany. So as we kind of move into that topic, because that'll definitely be the focus for this discussion, I'd love to know how you originally got interested in Germany. Of course, you had that first trip when you were 18. But if I remember correctly, you were also learning German back in high school. So how did that start for you? That's right. That's right. So my grandmother was born in the U.S., but to German immigrant parents. And this was before World War I, which was the first war where Germany was the enemy of the United States. Um, so she actually grew up in Indiana, speaking German at home. All the newspapers were in German. It was like very much Germany in the United States at that time. Now, once World War I happened, it was kind of like, uh-oh, we're Americans now. So, you know, they started speaking English more and the German publications waned and, and, and whatnot. But really, my grandmother started teaching me German at a young age, not not so much to speak it fluently, but to just learn how to say good morning and good night, things like that. And it was always kind of part of our culture, part of our identity. Um, I feel like as Americans, you know, we, we often use our cultural heritage as sort of an identifying factor in, 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 in who we are. And so for me, even though I'm, I'm only, I think, 25% German, 
that was always the one that I kind of grasped onto and said, oh yeah. I, and so that, that kind of led me to, to study German in high school. Um, I ended up taking a semester in community college as well before I transferred to university. And that's kind of where, and at least in my mind, I lost interest in German because I had taken these classes. Uh, I didn't have much of a desire to go visit these places. I was, I was just like, okay, this is cool. Now let's move on and, and, and do something else with my life. But when I transferred to USC, there's a foreign language requirement as part of my degree program. And I actually tried to get out of that requirement because I had taken three years in high school and a semester in community college. And so I, I go to take the placement exam and I was very confident and finished the exam very quickly and got placed right back into level one. <laughs> so I was like, darn it, I have to retake two semesters of college German at USC paying absorbent tuition um, because I obviously didn't pay attention in high school. And and so it was at USC that I actually started learning it. I don't know if it's like a third times the charm kind of thing or if I just had really good professors, which which I would say that I did. But I pretty soon got to the point where I was actually picking it up pretty well. Mm. And people, you know, people would say like, oh, wow, like, have you ever lived in Germany? Because your, you know, your conversation skills are, 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 are good. And I, I took a few trips to Germany during that time as well sort of got to practice over there and and at that point really got the feel for life there and realized that it might be something that that I wanted. Yeah, absolutely. The the, the other piece I would focus I, I would focus on that I think I think will come up later, but because this was sort of late in my college career that I started having an interest in German, um, I really didn't have an opportunity to study abroad. It was something that I probably in hindsight would have loved to do, but you know, when you're a transfer student, you're trying to get in and out as fast as possible and, and, you know, delaying one semester or one semester of tuition to go live abroad for a semester just didn't seem like a practical thing for me to do. Right, right. So then coming out of university, so you started your career, I guess the plan was never initially for you to try to work in Germany. Obviously, that opportunity came down the road. But what were you thinking coming out of your degree program? And in fact, what type of career did you ultimately get into? <laughs> Great question. So if you asked me what I studied in school, I'll tell you I studied accounting. If you asked me what I was interested in as a 22-year-old, I would tell you Germany. That was like my that was like my interesting thing. I was I was one class short of a minor in German in college. And so when you're at a party and people are like, "Well, what do you study?" It's like, "Well, my major is accounting, but I, I'm actually interested in German." Hmm. You know, that was a more interesting thing for me to talk about or be passionate about. But I was going down the CPA path, which is getting a job in in public accounting, which is working for a large accounting firm and basically doing auditing and, and other type of accounting related work for large clients. But I, I would say when I was going through my recruiting uh, season, my interest was to, to work internationally at some point. I didn't know what that would look like, where that would look like, but I actually chose the firm that I that I work for, I currently work for, in part because they had those type of opportunities. Mm -hmm. It's a global firm. We're located in 110 countries around the world. And when I was going through recruiting, I actually interacted with a lot of people who had either come to work in the U.S. from abroad, from Ireland, from the Philippines, from South Africa, the UK, so on and so forth, as well as, as gotten to know people that were U.S.-based that did get to do work abroad, whether it was a rotation or a, a, a longer-term relocation. So I went in knowing that that was always going to be a possibility for me. Didn't know what it would look like at the time, but it was definitely something that was a priority in choosing one accounting firm over another. 
So to that end, though, of course, when they're whining and dining you and you're in the middle of the recruiting process, they're going to say, oh, yeah, of course, you could go to X country, in your case, Germany. <laughs> you know, they're, they're going to say all of that stuff. But did you have a strong sense that it was really possible? Or was it kind of like, hey, it's nice that that opportunity might be there, but I recognize that the chances might be low or maybe things don't work out? What was kind of your thought process going into it? So it, it it's it's funny about the whining and dining. I know that you worked in uh, corporate America for, for a while, so <laughs> you're uh, you're no stranger to, uh, to to the way that works sometimes. Right. But um, you know what it came down to again was being able to just meet people who had actually done it themselves. Right. It wasn't just a program that HR talks about that, like you said, oh, apply and we'll get back to you kind of thing. Um, I actually sat across the table with individuals who had made mm-hmm. it happen and. And had their input as to how the process would actually work and how hard or easy it would be. So then you started that career, obviously, probably day one, I would assume you weren't saying, hey, Mr. Manager, Mr. Boss, I'm ready to go to Germany now. So how did you (laughs) navigate those first couple of years and how did you set yourself up to be in a position to make it happen? Sure, sure. So I would say a lot of it was luck, but I can say with hindsight, a few things that were really helpful. And, And again, this is probably specific to um, my career or, or professional services in general, but you know, you you, you come to learn that the e- one of the easiest ways to get a job abroad is to have a skill that is not you know that is in demand somewhere else because that just streamlines the visa process and you can you know similar to the H one visa in the United States you can cut sort of cut cut in line in other countries and, and that approval is easy and. One of those skills that is uh, sort of inherently exclusive to the United States is U.S. is the accounting standards that are in the United States. Being a, being a CPA in the U.S., knowing U.S. generally accepted accounting principles, um, which is sort of the language of an accountant here, um, is is considered to be a, a very highly technical skill abroad. The reason for that partly is is just the uh, what for better or for worse it's it's the U.S. dominance in securities markets and the fact that U.S. listed companies which have to report under U.S. GAAP by law you know have have subsidiaries all around the world and all those subsidiaries need to be audited to the uh, U.S. standards. So by being a U.S. CPA, you are sort of automatically qualified to. Uh, have the, those special skills that other people don't have around the world, and and for someone else to to become a U.S. CPA is, is you know so, someone living outside of the United States is extremely challenging, and so that was kind of the ticket for differentiating yourself or setting yourself up from the standpoint of the receiving firm wanting you and being able to use you as it re- as it relates to the U.S. firm that I was working for and kind of setting myself up. For success there, it just had to do with taking on responsibility and, and, and showing that I could handle the tasks that they gave to me. Because mm-hmm. ultimately, the way that the arrangement works is that the U.S. firm sends you to a host firm abroad, um, basically on their recommendation. It, you know, I, I can touch on this briefly, but my interview to go work in Germany was a joke for all mm-hmm. intents and purposes. They basically wanted to wanted me to clarify the experience that I had. But there was no technical questions to stump me. There was no, no really, I would say, 
objective analysis of whether or not I would be a good fit over there. Mm-hmm. They were really taking my qualifications and my good standing in the U.S. firm as sufficient uh, to bring me over. So how many years did you work at that firm before this opportunity presented itself? And I guess I should probably say, did it present itself sort of naturally or how did you go about really making your intention known? Sure, sure. Great question. Um, four and a half years was the time I worked in the U.S. before I, I moved abroad. I had, I, I did play a part in making it happen myself, which is not always the way it works, but probably one you know, key takeaway for the listeners who might be in a similar situation is I sort of made this happen in reverse. So, so the official policy, if you look on the my company's intranet page, is to talk to your local leadership and then apply for a program and then look for open slots that may be advertised. And then you would, at that point, you would get in contact with the member firm abroad. And, and you know, that's the way the process would work. And, and there could be quite a bit of lead time. And of course, nothing is guaranteed. I actually found someone who was already working in Germany for my firm as as a U.S. Like we we call them secondi. I don't know if that's a, a common term um, in the industries, but um, I I went right to him and and you know people are always willing to help other people and so I called him you know American to American more or less and said hey I want to do what you're doing how can I do this mm. and he immediately put me in touch with the. Uh, the lead partners of the firm in Germany and basically started the process backwards. And so I got a little bit of flack from HR in the, in the United States because they're like, Oh, well, you're supposed to apply through us, but now they're calling me saying Mm -hmm. they want you over there. You know, how can, you know, next time, you know, do it the right way. But in the end, it doesn't really matter because, um, because that, that was, you know, them wanting me was the requirement to begin with a formality. Um, but then the other, I think the other important piece is is the firm that I worked for was large enough that I was a little bit more expendable. Mm. Um, it's it's kind of you don't want to do either work in a smaller firm or be in such a place where the U.S. can't let you go or doesn't have a an incentive to let you pursue your own, you know, dreams basically. Um, and and so I think that was another advantage of, of being at a firm that was large enough to be able to fill the gaps that I left while at the same time equipping me to be. Um, in a position to to be advantageous to the firm. So it sounds like not only did you have the specialized skills, indeed, that would be useful in an international context, but on top of that, you were in a large enough company to where that, of course, they had the offices there in the first place, but then on top of that, they had the flexibility and really the, the slack to be able to allow you these opportunities. Is that right? Absolutely. Absolutely. And, you know, the, the other thing I'll say... Um, which, which sort of gets back to your question of, of how did I arrive at this? Did it, did it just come out of nowhere? I was taking a solo trip. I was in Dubai, and I realized that one of my former colleagues had, who it was act, you know, incidentally one of the one of the individuals who, when I was going through recruiting, mm-hmm. I had known that had had worked abroad. She, I, I worked for her in the U.S. and then she moved to Ireland, um, and then she actually left my firm and joined another firm in Dubai, um, and her career. You know, she ended up working in Dubai, then working in uh, Prague, hmm. and has since repatriated back to the United States. But she had a she had a great like eight year run of living abroad in several different places, all through a professional services firm. But I was I was in Dubai just by myself uh, traveling, and I, I met up with her for lunch, and and she basically said, "Come over here. There's a lot of work here. I'll give you a job here." And that would involve switching firms, which was not something I necessarily wanted to do but i was at the point in my career where i was like if i'm going to make this happen this is the time to do it right so when i got back from that trip i resolved 
that I'm either going to make Germany, since Germany was my first love, so to speak, uh, I was going to try to make Germany work in my current firm. And if that didn't work, then I was going to switch to another firm and, and, and move to Dubai. Because I thought, I thought Dubai was a cool place. Okay. In yeah. the end... And in the end, glad that that didn't work out, but that was kind of, I would say that that trip was the the kick in the butt to get moving on this and, and what ultimately resulted in me securing a position in Germany. Did you find that it was competitive to get this role or one of these slots? And maybe that maybe you could even talk about it in a higher level across the company. Is it is it a situation where they need perhaps even more people to go abroad than are willing to, or is it so competitive that... If you take a slot, then somebody else has to stay back and that type of thing. It is uh, not competitive at all, hmm. um, and which is why this is, like I said, this is such a great path for those who want to find a, a way to work abroad. Um, it is surprising to me. Now, now, granted, when I was pursuing this, I was single. I did not. I I think I was no. I I was I was on my own. There was a time when I was living at my parents' house, but you know, as far as obligations go, I had no obligations. So for me. Someone who wanted this, this was a very, you know, this was, they didn't really have to sell me on it, but I was very surprised to learn, you know, how big of a decision this is for people that are a little bit more established in their life with families and kids and and, and things like that. And that they really do have trouble filling these positions. Mm -hmm. There is, I mean, I can open up our our internet now and I can read off the different opportunities that are currently available. Um, I, I know that they are very much undersubscribed. Okay, so you secured that position. So it's great that you sort of had everything in hand. You went through the whole process. Did you have to do any sort of negotiations as far as what they would cover, any salary changes, title changes, things like that to be able to make it work for you? Yes, yes. As a matter of fact, um, and that and that's maybe one of the first lessons, at least specific to my industry. But Dave, I think that's probably part of your story as well, moving from Silicon Valley to Japan, is that dollar for dollar, without regard to exchange rates, the, the pay scale is just different. Mm-hmm. And, and I think that's especially true when you move to Europe because of the strong social safety net, because you know rent is generally cheaper than it is in large U.S. cities, that it just costs less to live there, period. And you don't really realize that when you're looking around. And, and so I did take a little bit of a pay cut. Um, they, they had first offered, their, their initial offer was quite a bit of a pay cut. Mm-hmm. I'll say it was probably 30%. Mm. Um, and, and to agree to do that for two years was, you know, in, in hindsight, I would say it would have been worth it. But, you know, at the time, it seemed like it was a little bit of a, a little bit of a step down, mm. because in, in part, you're, you're working on moving up, you know, get, getting incremental salary increases every year that are based, you know, each one builds off of the other. So taking a, a, a sizable pay cut didn't seem like a good idea. Um, in the end, there was a negotiation, and what's funny is they actually, what I was getting paid as a, so I was a, a senior associate was my level in the U.S. firm, and what I was getting paid as a senior associate in the U.S., dollar for dollar, was so far outside of the ranges, the salary ranges in Germany, that they actually would move me up to the next mm-hmm. rank, which is manager. Um, and so And so they basically... Did that? They agreed to move, bring me in as a manager instead of a senior associate. It brought my pay closer, although not equal to what I was making in the U.S. And it was sort of a lucky break for me because it, you know, it obviously looks good to have that title um, and and to be promoted early, more or less, even though it was purely a technicality based on trying to to match my compensation. That said, once they did offer that concession, they pretty much 
didn't offer anything else. Mm-hmm. Part of it was my 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 living situation that I you know didn't own a home and didn't have a family, but they basically offered me a you know a week in a hotel when I arrived, and and that's about it. Obvi- obviously, my flights, but no um, no moving allowance, no you know n- nothing like that. Really, right. really, it was just we'll give you a place to land for a week. We'll give you time during the the workday if you need to go find your place to live, but one weekend you're on your own. Got it. So one other thing that I want to touch on is how important was it in the process to get this role that you actually already spoke such good German? Of course, that seem would seem to give you a leg up, but were there other people that had, for example, the guy that you spoke to, the guy or girl that you spoke to before you uh, were able to get this role that also, did everyone there speak German basically, all the foreigners as well? Um, actually, so surprisingly, no. I was actually, when I was in Germany for the time, there were three other uh, secondes that were there rotating in and out during my time, and two of them didn't speak any German at all. Now, part of that is has to do with specifically German business culture and German business culture at U.S. companies. Obviously, mm-hmm. uh, you know the expectation is that a lot of the emails and, and business communications between a subsidiary and the parent company are going to be done in English anyways. Um, a lot of the documentation, ERP systems and whatnot are in English anyways. So it wasn't that much of an issue. And, and as most people will know that almost everybody in German, Germany has a, a good working knowledge of English anyways. So it was not a requirement. My interview to come over was conducted in English. My contract was written in English. They did like the fact that I spoke German. I think that they appreciated it more from the standpoint of being able to send me to clients and integrate me in the office more so than you know those who, who maybe don't speak German. But it was never a requirement. And in fact, it, w- it turned out to be a good balance for me because I, I've probably oversell, uh, oversold my German language abilities uh, uh, up to this point in, <laughs> in recording the podcast. But I, I, I would say I'm, I'm good conversationally. Once you get into extremely technical language, mm-hmm. you know, I, I just haven't picked that up yet. So I was able to do all of that technical stuff in English while still having the conversational um, business relationships in German, which I, I think. As you said, so it sounds like a big part of your experience there was going to local client sites and being able to speak and work with these business owners and so forth. So could you talk a little bit about how the business life and the work life and even your daily life for that matter was different between where, you know, the company and the, the office that you worked for in Los Angeles versus there in Germany. And by the way, which city did you go to? I should probably clarify that too. <laughs> right. So so I went to Hamburg, Germany. Hamburg is the second largest uh, city in Germany. Um, it's a beautiful, I think it's the most beautiful city in Europe. It's filled with water and canals. It actually has more, Hamburg as a city has more bridges than Venice, London, and Amsterdam combined. And it's right on the 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 river that empties out into the North Sea. So it's just a beautiful place, Dave. I know that you've visited and you and you can attest to it. But it's oh, also, yeah. you know, second on the, you know, it it sort of has a second city status in Germany. And when folks, when Americans or, or others individuals visit Germany, it's probably low on the list of places they go. People are more likely that they flew into Frankfurt, that they want to go down to Munich to see the beer gardens, the, the Black Forest, and obviously everyone loves Berlin. Um, so Hamburg is, is you know, typically not high on the list, and that gives it a very unique feel in that it is very German there. It is not. You go down to Frankfurt, you hear more, almost more English than German when you're, you know, walking amongst mm-hmm. the skyscrapers. Say, 
Hamburg doesn't have any skyscrapers. It is just, it's not that kind of a city. Um, so it was a, a cool place, I think, to experience German culture and, and, and maybe get a more genuine look at it as opposed to some of the more business-oriented cities in that country. Um, as far as differences between the working culture in, in, in the U.S. And, and Germany, I mean, they're, they're vast. Mm-hmm. Public accounting in the United States is very labor-intensive. We work very long hours, traditional busy season. In Germany, they're, they're typically limited to 40 to 45 hours a week. Um, and to them, that is really busy. Whereas to me, I was coming from a culture where, where busy is 60 hours a week plus. Um, I do think it's it's funny, incidentally. So, you know, we've talked about public accounting or professional services as a way to move across diff- you know different geographies and work. And if you look at the flow of where people are more likely to transfer, we see a lot of people from our Asian member firms mm-hmm. want to come work in the U.S. Because if you look at the work, the difference in working culture, U.S. is is, an, is a net improvement to, right. to to a lot of Asian working cultures. Right, and then you see the same thing in the U.S. So you know, going from the U.S. to Europe is is another improvement. So you don't see a lot of Americans that want to go work in Tokyo, say, yeah, <laughs> um, and or, or the Philippines where they have beds under their desks. Right, right. So yeah, certainly appreciated the 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 more relaxed working culture. One thing that I think is is less relaxed, and this is probably just a German thing, is that they were very formal on working hours, when you show up, when you leave, you know, and and it, less autonomy in that respect. You know, in the U.S., I don't have anyone who's who's checking when I show up and and when I don't. And in Germany, uh, I had a secretary that would call me if I didn't show up to work by nine o'clock hmm. to see if I was still coming in. And if I forgot, if I was visiting a client and I forgot to put that, I had a, I actually had a schedule tracker that I, you know, I would have to put in every day that I'm out visiting a client or on vacation or something like that. And, you know, she would check that. And if, if I said I was going to be in the office and I wasn't in the office, I got a call or an email. Hmm. Um, and that is just not at all the way it works in the United States. The advantage is it's easier to, uh, I guess, stand out in Germany because I was, you know, used to working weekends during busy season. Mm. And I would just work maybe one or two Saturdays during our traditional busy season in Germany and, you know, get ahead on all my assignments. And, you know, my boss thought it was great because she she had worked in the U.S. and thought that that's the kind of the way things should be. <laughs> Whereas all the other, you know, lazy Germans are off at five o'clock. Right, right. <laughs> I, well, I was going to say, I don't want to say lazy Germans because they are, they are very hardworking. But I think that kind of puts a bow around the, the German working culture is they work very hard, but they work from eight o'clock to five o'clock. And how did they manage the busy season then? At least I know as you're talking about how difficult and time consuming and intense it is in the United States, but was there, were there any other adjustments that were made or obviously they must still be tied to certain deadlines. So how did the business change to be able to enable that type of more relaxed working culture? You know, they just hire more people hmm. uh, to do the amount of work. Right. It's, uh, you know, if it's the same amount of work, they'll have a, a larger team, all else equal. And and the benefit to that is that summers are nice and slow hmm. because they can't just trim the workforce because there's less work to do. So I know that my personally, like I had uh, abroad when I did not, um, I did not have a lot of work to do. Um, but this being this being Germany, I still had to come to the office every day. And, and stay my eight hours, even though I was, you know, reading the news and whatnot. Whereas in the U.S., not only is it rare to not have as much to do, but even if 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 I do have, 
an afternoon where I don't have anything to do, I'm just, I'll just take the afternoon off right. kind of thing. So did you get to enjoy that time then as far as really digging into the fact that you were in Germany, that you were in Europe? Did you get to travel as much as you wanted to, to see the country? How did you balance that with these work requirements? Clearly, a more relaxed work culture could probably make that easier. But how did you kind of think about navigating that alongside your professional responsibilities with your new title? Yeah, yeah. Well, you know, it it was a challenge because, um, like I mentioned, I didn't have the flexibility that I thought I would have to, like, jet out early on a Friday to go catch a flight somewhere, Mm -hmm. for instance. So I would say that that adversely affected how often I traveled and, and, and what I could do. On the plus side, I had six weeks paid vacation, which seemed like, you know, so much back at, <laughs> back at the time coming from the U.S. where I think I had three and a half. And that was, you know, that, would, that was already with some seniority. Um, so it was kind of a kind of a balance of, of taking advantage of this new this new quantity of time off, but also not being able to do some flexible kind of fitting trips in on the weekends that I anticipated I would do. In the end, I mean, I still at least once a month took a, a, a personal trip somewhere, um, and then maybe six months into my rotation, I started taking on some additional responsibilities, which included being able to, or having to travel all over Europe for work, which turned out to be great because it was I could turn a work trip into a long weekend. I could, um, you know, plan my trips in the middle of the week, say, and and obviously buy myself some flexibility from the, the rigid German work culture by myself, some independence that, that I wouldn't have if I was uh, just reporting to the office every day. Yeah, absolutely. So I know that you ended up staying in Germany for about two years, but was that the plan from the get-go or did you have to negotiate how long that would be or was it more open-ended? How did you think about that? So th- my contract that I signed was uh, close-ended for that period. And and that's just the way those things worked. The 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 nature of the these type of arrangements at these type of firms is that it you go over there for a fixed amount of time and then you come back. And ideally, like you know, the U.S. firm benefits from your experience abroad, and the hosting firm benefits from having you there, and and all of that. But I still remained an employee of the U.S. firm mm-hmm. uh, legally uh, throughout my entire time. That said, um, there were opportunities to extend, and in fact. There, there was an opportunity to to stay there permanently if if I wanted to, that that the partners had offered me. I chose not to for several reasons, and and maybe we we can get into that later. Um, some of them personal, mm. others professional, but there was definitely the option to extend if I needed to or if I wanted to. the The natural sort of buffer for that is three years. Mm. So after three years, IRS rules actually stipulate how your income is treated. Uh, that you earn abroad. And so three years is kind of the maximum sort of temporary assignment Mm -hmm. that you can do. Anything longer than three years is considered like permanent or semi-permanent. And and there's a lot more red tape that you have to to jump through on the U.S. side with regard to taxation and things like that. So the longest that any single contract would be is three years and anything longer than that. Anything longer than that would be considered some kind of a, even if there's an intention to unwind it in the end, they just have to structure it that way for tax purposes. Got it. So considering that you knew that maybe your time was limited, of course it could have been extended, but you had some sort of assumption that it would be around two years and you could probably safely assume that. Uh, How did you think about really 
diving into life in Germany and building a life for yourself there, making friends, uh, you know, doing things outside of work and outside of your personal trips to enjoy uh, the feeling of living in that country, as opposed to always knowing that, well, I'll probably only be here for two years. So, you know, did you, did you invest in your life there? Uh, great question. And it's, I mean, I'll answer just by saying that it's a challenge. Um, when you know that your time is limited somewhere, yeah, there's just less that you do to invest in life locally. I would say that I, I tried to enjoy every day there, every weekend there, um, exploring parts of the city and, and, and just doing things there that I, that I know I would never do hmm. if I was visiting as a tourist. That said, I had two primary social outlets. Um, first was obviously my work colleagues. Public accounting is, you know, attracts a lot of young college graduates. So most of the people I worked with were, you know, plus or minus three to four years the same age as me. And so those were the, the friends that I would primarily hang out with on the weekends. Obviously, we, you know, worked together all day um, and, and, and provided social outlet. And I would say that when... When the reason, you know, when you're building a friendship on the basis of, you know, we work in the same place and we and we see each other every day, and we, you know, we encounter the same problems, that kind of thing. I found that that kind of friendship doesn't isn't really affected adversely by the fact that I was leaving. Mm-hmm. Like I was no less likely to have lunch with a coworker um, if I was staying a week versus if I was staying a decade. Mm-hmm. It's really the for me it was the the friendships outside of that that were a little bit, you know probably neglected or, or less invested into because of the fact that I was leaving. Hmm. But my other, my other big sort of social outlet, there was a English speaking church that I went to um, in Hamburg. And it was also similarly full of uh, expats, you know, obviously being English speaking, but there was a lot of folks from not so much from the United States, but from other parts of the world that had moved hmm. to Hamburg for work or for school um, and it, and um, in addition to it being, you know, a church and having that that spiritual element to it, it was also sort of an expat hub or an expat, you know, social outlet. Yeah, absolutely. So I know this is a different part of your experience there, but I'd like to talk a little bit about your long distance relationship, if that's all right. Um, <laughs> and uh, I assume this also plays a role in why you decided to ultimately move back after your initial two years. But could you, that is, if you're comfortable talking about it, could you talk about what that experience was like, how you decided that you would go into this long distance relationship, how you managed it during the time that you were there mm-hmm. and, um, mm-hmm. you know, basically made it work and have it, of course, continuing when you went back to the United States? Sure, sure. Well, I won't, I won't uh, get into too many, uh, too, too much background with uh, my current wife and, and, and our relationship before I moved to Germany, um, other than to say, you know, we were obviously very close friends and, and were interested in each other, but both had the expectation that our relationship would be over when I moved away. And even though my contract was only for a two-year period, two years is a long time uh, for relationships, especially when you're in your late 20s. And and I think the expectation from both of us was that you know, we would both move on. Um, so we said goodbye to each other. She was actually the last person I said goodbye to before I left, um, and, and moved over. And, and, you know, we, we, neither of us, I don't think we're holding on to, well, first of all, we were not, you know, officially in a relationship. We had, we had dated before and we were really good friends, but, um, you know, we're, we're not 
committed to each other in that sense of being a boyfriend and a girlfriend. But I think we both mutually thought like, okay, this is, this is kind of where this ends, mm-hmm. unfortunately. When I, as soon as I landed in Germany, we, we basically started texting. And, and one thing that I soon realized is that iMessage works all around the world. Mm-hmm. And it doesn't matter if you have a German number or a US number. It's not an international SMS. It's all settled on the Apple proprietary network. And it's just as seamless, whether it's an iMessage or a FaceTime audio or a FaceTime call, it's just as seamless as being in the US. And so my wife and I basically you know, started texting and, 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 and sort of rekindled you know, our, our friendship that way. And, and it, it, it resulted in her coming out to visit me and, and us realizing that, wait a second, maybe we can make this work. Hmm. Maybe that maybe a long distance relationship isn't as painful and isn't as much work as, as, as we both thought that it would be. So we gave it a try. Um, basically in, uh, in November, I think two months, two months after I had moved there and said, Hey, let's, I'm coming home for Christmas. Let's just give this a try. And, and Christmas time, we'll reevaluate and see if it's it's what we want. Um, and it turns out that it was exactly what we wanted, and and we we kept that going for the entire time that I was away. Obviously, it was not without its challenges. Mm-hmm. Um, probably the biggest challenge is just making time for each other and speaking to each other and and sort of being involved in each other's lives while living in two literally on other sides of the world. Obviously, I'm a I'm an accountant. It's not the most glorious life in the world as far as day-to-day, you know, what did you do today? How was your day kind of thing? So, you know, I would say that that sometimes, uh, you know, you don't necessarily have a lot of things to talk about um, with regard to your life, but but we kept it going. And, and I think the big thing that kept us going is that we we resolved to see each other about every six weeks to, to eight weeks. Hmm. And um, sometimes we, she would come to Germany. Sometimes I would go home to the U.S. And then other times we would, we would meet in uh, New York, meet in Costa Rica, meet in all different places. Hmm. And, you know, the one thing I'll say, uh, I, I mentioned earlier study abroad and, you know, how I didn't have that experience. And I, you know, I'm glad that I was able to live abroad as a working professional because it just gives you sort of income and, <laughs> and, and flexibility yeah. to do things that, to do fun things that you wouldn't be able to do if you were, uh, you know, on a shoestring budget. Yeah, hundred percent. I think it's a big difference. I still, I mean, for me, it was going to China as a student after my t- semester in Singapore, and going around for two weeks on very little money, no friends with me, didn't speak yeah. any Chinese, trying to travel around, and super hard trip. And then I came back as a working professional, and I can tell you it was one hundred and eighty degrees difference. You know, it was a whole different experience. <laughs> so I can I can definitely appreciate that. Um, so you came back, you decided then, of course, to come back to the United States to continue with the same company. Did you have any issues with, okay, now you're in that manager role, of course, it's two years later, um, and you had to adjust your salary when you went there. So how did you get to come back? And did you have to readjust your salary and your title? Or how did that work? Yeah, yeah, great question. Um, I did have to, so it was kind of a kind of a shoe in to come back at my new title because I had basically been performing the role for two years already. So there was an approval process, but it was largely a formality. Salary negotiations, uh, there was not much of a negotiation. Um, they paid me what they paid me, and it, it was not uh, not great initially, considering I had already been, had two years in the role. They were basically paying me as a brand new manager. Mm. But those things tend to sort themselves out over time. So I, I have nothing uh, nothing really to complain about. 
um, in that regard. But I would say the biggest adjustment coming back was was going back to the U.S. work environment, mm-hmm. workload, and and sort of style of working. Because I went from two years of not having to work a single weekend, and <laughs> you know, typically working probably the most I ever worked would be a ten-hour day, maybe. Um, to I think three weeks after I started back in the U.S., I had to work all night to get a client uh, issued. Yeah. And I was, it was, that was my like, welcome back to the U.S. Are you sure you want to be here kind of thing? <laughs> Did you have any thoughts of, oh, those days were so great back in Germany. Maybe I can hit them up again. Or was it, was it just kind of the adjustment that you had to go through and, and after you adjusted and you had your all-nighters, then you're back in the, back into it, back in the U.S.? Well, I think that um, I think it was the kick in the butt I needed um, because I, to be honest, I, I don't work all night very often. I think I've done it once or one or two other times, you know, in the three years since I've been back. It, it's it is very rare and it's usually avoidable. So it, in that sense, I guess it was just a lesson of, of getting back into the pace of things. But you know, I'll say this: working culture is just it it, it makes a difference. Like there's just there's just less less to do there's less focus on deadlines and making a mountain out of a molehill germany and and i I really appreciate that and i've done everything i can to try to bring that mindset Mm. over to the u.s Mm. but obviously it's i'm I'm one person and it's hard to go against a, a working culture that has been built over decades of course that makes sense do you keep in touch with your german colleagues still or is it really obviously now your focus is back on your u.s clients but curious how that is yeah, so I keep in touch with um, probably three or four individuals over there that I worked with. You know, there was a, you know one guy I took a couple weekend trips with. We went to Ukraine together, and then just a couple others who have who to remain with uh, the company that I work for and and have gone through similar life changes that I have with regard to marriage and having kids. Yeah. And yeah, they will be you know they will be my friends for life. I would say that you know I, I don't keep in too close of a contact with them, but. Uh, Again, going back to iMessage, it's just so easy to send them a text and, and see how things are going. And, and we do keep in touch and, and try to stay involved in each other's lives. That's great, man. Uh, just as we wrap up here, I'm curious if you have any general parting advice for any other folks that would like to try to use their job uh, through internal transfers, through deployments, through assignments, whatever you want to call it, to be able to get around the world. Sure, sure. Well, I probably I, I know I mentioned uh, my former colleague who had met up in Dubai, but I'll say this: there is a small group of individuals who are able to make this happen on a consistent basis and work in all different countries. I mean, there's someone in my office right now who uh, worked for my company in the Philippines, then Malta, then the UK, and and now Los Angeles. And, and there are people who just make their career jumping from mm-hmm. country to country. Um, and and if you if that's what you want to do, this is a very good way to do it. When you have a company behind you that's helping you with all of the visas and moving expenses and things like that, definitely an, an, an approach that that many maybe don't think about. Um, it definitely takes some investment because you need to have that skill mm. and be in that position where where you know other places can benefit from you. But I would encourage people that it's not as hard as you think. Um, I mean, it took me, <clears throat> I, I would say, with the various programs that my firm offers, as an example, you can start in the U.S. and you can be abroad within a year and a half, hmm. basically, wow. um, for some of these different rotation programs. And 
and and that's specific to my company, but you know, applicable broadly within within this profession and within this industry is that there are uh, just a lot of opportunities if you're willing to uh, position yourself in a company to take advantage. So I just want to actually change tack just slightly and see what the downsides are. I mean, I know I'm getting this into this late in the conversation, but what I'm curious about is this idea that, for example, the colleague that you mentioned that's lived in all of these different countries, I think that's amazing. What I'm curious about is I know that, for example, you're trying to go indeed up the corporate ladder. Do you not necessarily specific to this individual in your office, but in general, is it going to be more difficult for people that try to make so many moves to continue to move up the ladder, or do you not see that too much? Certainly, and I I believe that this is specific to my profession or industry. Is that you know to keep moving up, you do need to put some roots down eventually, mm-hmm. and and so the question goes back to are you happy with the position that you have? Because if I was happy with my my manager level salary and responsibilities, which by the way, I was, um, I mean, it, it afforded me a, a, a comfortable life in Germany, the ability to travel, all of that. You know, if you're willing to, 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 to stop there, then the world is your oyster. If you do want to keep moving up, which, you know, I'll tell you, it doesn't make you more happier or anything like that. You know, contentment is contentment, whether you have a little or you have a lot. Um, but if you do want to move up, it, you, at some point, you do need to settle down in, in one specific place. Great. Thank you so much for your various feedback and advice. This has been an amazing conversation. Our listeners, is there anywhere in particular that they can look to find out more about you and what you're doing? Absolutely. Well, I'm on obviously on LinkedIn in a professional capacity and would be happy to connect with anyone to discuss my career path or similar career paths and global opportunities. Um, my email address is firstname.lastname at uh, gmail.com if, if, if there are any other questions that come up. But I'd, you know, I'd, I'd love to hear from listeners and I'd also love to just connect with people that uh, have similar interests that I do. And, and I, you know, I'd love to hear about their experiences too. Awesome. Well, thank you so much, Andrew, for appearing on the show. Love hearing your story. So glad that our listeners can hear it as well. Look forward to keeping in touch and talk to you soon. If you enjoyed today's episode, please take a minute and give us a five-star review on iTunes or wherever you listen to your podcasts. It helps new listeners find us and lets us know that we are putting out content that you appreciate. You can quickly find out where and how to rate us at ratethispodcast.com slash expatempire. If you know anyone who would appreciate this podcast, please tell them about it so we can continue growing the global expat empire community. Keep up to date on new expat empire podcast episodes by pressing the subscribe button in the podcasting app of your choice. You can also visit expatempire.com and sign up for our newsletter to get our free ebook, Top 10 Tips for Moving Abroad, right now. We are also on Facebook and Instagram at Expat Empire, so be sure to follow us there. We are currently offering free consulting calls to discuss your moving plans and how Expat Empire can help you to achieve them. Please visit our website to schedule your call today. Thanks for listening, and stay tuned for the next episode in the coming weeks.